Kia ora e and it is my privilege to wrap up our Salvation series today. We've spent the past four weeks looking at the wonder of the doctrine of salvation, God's rescue plan for humanity to save us from our brokenness. We started the series by looking at predestination, the fact that salvation originates in the heart of God, that He chose to save us. We looked at justification, the fact that even though we are guilty, we stand condemned. God chose to make us. He declared us not guilty and gave us his righteousness. We looked at sanctification, which is the work of God to continually make us more and more like Jesus, more holy and less likely to sin. And it's a joy to finish today by looking at the last step of salvation. The last thing that God does, he starts it, he finishes it, and he finishes it with a word called glorification. Glorification. What does it mean to be glorified? What does glory mean? It's a word we use fairly often, but actually I don't think it's used that often outside of church circles. You might associate glory when it comes to sport, right? Like the All Blacks were chasing World Cup glory. A little bit too soon for some of you, but hey, it's a good example. Or at the Olympics, people who, who win the gold medal, they get the glory is theirs. But what about the word glorified? Glorified, I think, only comes up, I've racked my brain, and I can only think of examples when it's like a low-level insult, right? Like when you're giving someone grief for catching a limo. Oh, it's just a glorified taxi. Now, I was talking with someone the other day who works in Hobbiton in Matamata over the summer, and I've never been, and I said to him, oh, man, that must be amazing. Like, what's Hobbiton like? And he goes, ah, mate, it's just a glorified garden. It's a word that we don't actually uh, use in its right context because the word glorified in Scripture is just so far beyond the way that we use it. Now, we use it to say it's a slightly better version of a really average thing. But in Scripture, the word glory and glorified is like the most exalted, the most, the most brilliant, radiant. There's a splendor associated with it, an indescribable beauty. It is so much better than simply a slightly better version of an average thing. And this is where we get the word from. It's from our teaching text that we have used throughout this series. Romans 8 verse 30. Those he predestined, he, God, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And so what does that word actually mean, glorified? What's it referring to? Who is it referring to? It's referring to us. It's referring to us. The doctrine of glorification means this. It means that Christ's death and resurrection didn't just purchase the salvation of our souls, but the complete redemption and renewal of our bodies along with all creation. Christ's finished work on the cross didn't just mean that our souls would one day be like evacuated in the presence of God. He died so that these bodies, flesh and bone and the whole of creation will someday be renewed. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the wonder of the doctrine of salvation or what we've been learning about these past weeks. Lord, it's amazing that it starts with you. The work continues with you by your amazing grace. I thank you that you finished the work. I thank you that someday we will be glorified. We'll be with you. So Lord, I pray that your word would speak powerfully now, Lord, to every listening ear. Would you bring encouragement? Would you bring hope? And God, would you get all the glory for yourself? 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this body, your body, someday is going to be glorified. It's going to be made new. And that begs a question, what exactly is going to happen and when is it going to happen? I want to start with the when. Now, I'm going to make this quite general because as much as you want me to dive into the intricacies of end times, I'm not going to do it. You're going to have to wait for our Revelation series next year. But uh, to touch on it lightly, this is going to happen at the end of all things when God calls time on this part of history. And we get that from a bunch of different places in Scripture. But the text that I want to uh, look at is uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4.14. Paul writes, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. At the last trumpet, at the end of all things, Jesus Christ comes back to earth in a physical body. He will stand on the Mount of Olives in Israel. And when he comes, he won't be coming as a baby in a manger. He'll be coming as a conquering king. And he brings with him the souls of everyone who has died, who loves him, who follows him from Adam right through to the very last person. And he brings with him the souls of those who have died. And at that moment, they are reunited with their resurrected bodies whether that body was buried, whether it was cremated, whether it was lost at sea. And in the twinkling of an eye, Corinthians says, there was a transformation. Soul and body are reunited and transformed and glorified when God creates a new heaven and a new earth. We will be made new. That's when it will happen at the end of all things. And what is going to happen? I've mentioned a, a transformation, a, a, a twinkling of an eye. But what is it actually going to be? What, what's going to happen to this flesh and blood? Paul has another great explanation of it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? When you sow, you don't plant the body that will be, but just a seed. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Paul is saying that this flesh and bone is, is a seed. This, this what we experience now, what we have now, isn't the final product. And, and just as when you plant a seed in the ground, it, it has to die in order for that shoot to come through and be something even more incredible. You know, a tiny seed one day grows into the most beautiful flower, the most beautiful tree. Paul's saying that is what it's like. What we have here and now isn't the final product. It is a seed. And when, and when that day comes, when that renewal comes, he uses a couple of not buts to, to create a greater picture of what it's going to be. He said it is sown in weakness. It is sown perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown as something that tires. Our bodies now, they tire, they wear out, they break down, they age. But this new body, this glorified body, it won't age. It won't break down. It won't tire. It won't get injured. It won't get sick. It will be completely healthy, completely strong, perfect forever. Not a single ache or pain. 
It is not, it is, this body is sown in dishonor, but it will be raised in glory. Here's that word again, glory. It will be glorious. And there will be, there will be a radiance. There'll be a splendor. There'll be a, a brilliance about these bodies. You know, you'll, if, if you were to see one of those now, you'll be like, oh, oh my goodness, look at you. You're glowing, you know, you're shining. There'll just be something magnificent about these bodies. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Oh, we feel that weakness now, don't we? But raised in power. And, and, and maybe just put, put aside like Captain America or Marvel or like even Dragon Ball Z. Like you don't want to go to some sort of like superhuman. Are we going to be flying around? I don't know. But, but if he's comparing weakness with power, I think what Paul's getting at is just like fullness of strength. Like being able to do everything that God intends you to do. If there's something that he wants you to be able to do in the new heaven and earth, you'll be able to do it. You won't be asking anyone to help. Hey, can you help me lift this? Hey, I can't get this thing there. Full, fullness, excuse me, of strength. And finally, sown a natural body, but raised a spiritual body. And this doesn't mean sort of uh, an ethereal, spiritual ghost-like substance. No, it means the fullness of the Holy Spirit, a spiritual body, everything God intends for us to have by the power of his Holy Spirit. Sounds like a pretty amazing body. Does it mean that you get to choose whether you look like Sonny Bill Williams at the height of his power or Ryan Gosling and Barbie? I'll take that one. I don't know. I don't know. What I do know is it is going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. And this is good news for us. That's what our bodies will look like. Also consider where they will be. It's called glorification because we are going to be in the presence of the glorious one. We're going to be with him forever. We're going to get to bask in the presence of God. This is what Jesus was referring to in John 17 when he prayed. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. It is the most exalted place where we're going to be with him basking in his glory. We won't have a, it won't be our glory emanating out. We will just be reflecting back to him what is already his in our most exalted state in these renewed bodies. I mentioned before that, that glorification has ramifications for our bodies, but also creation. And, and I'm not going to labor the point again because we're going to get there next year. But Paul says that uh, in the same passage in Romans that the whole of creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Right now, creation, it says, is groaning. It is frustrated. It doesn't have shalom. We see earthquakes. We see famine. We see devastation. We see disease. Creation is groaning, waiting for that day when we are glorified. Creation will someday be liberated from bondage and decay, and it will be perfect. There'll be perfect harmony between humans and animals and trees and oceans and waves and, and deserts. It's going to be glorious, glorious. And so what now? So what now? You might think, man, Jerem, that sounds awesome. But what does that mean for me here and now in 2023? It means a few things. It means we can have patient hope in the midst of suffering. Paul writes in Romans 8:23, we groan groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies for in this hope we are saved. 
I know for many of you listening right now, your bodies aren't working the way you want them to. Some of you right now are in incredible pain, frustrated, sick, uh, maybe angry with how things have turned out, lamenting a future you thought you had with your body that is now seemingly irrevocably changed. You are feeling the groan of sin, and that is your soul. That is your soul crying out for redemption. That's your soul, not just longing for things to be slightly better, but to be completely made new. That's a deep cry coming from the center of your body going, this is not how it's meant to be. I know this can be better. It can. And one day it will. And it's okay to lament your pain. It's okay to be frustrated with your suffering. God isn't saying your suffering doesn't matter, but he does not want us to despair. He wants us to have hope. And he wants us to have his perspective of things. Paul writes this in Romans 8, 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, first reading that might seem a bit, a bit hard to swallow. How can you say that what I'm going through right now doesn't compare to what's going to come? It hurts now. It's painful now. I'm frustrated now. What Paul's getting at is he's not saying your suffering doesn't matter. He's not saying it doesn't matter that you have cancer. He's saying it doesn't matter that your son is sick or your wife is sick or that things haven't gone the way you wanted to with your body. He's saying it not that it doesn't matter, but what he's using is saying you feel the magnitude of your pain right now. You feel the intensity of your suffering right now. He's trying to paint a picture to say one day what is coming how your body will be glorified is going to be so magnificent, so incredible, so glorious, so wonderful that the intensity of what you're feeling right now won't even register. Won't even register. He's not saying the pain doesn't matter now. He's saying what is coming is so far beyond what we can comprehend that if we could look back and see the pain, we would say it doesn't even compare. It doesn't even compare. Can you see what he's doing? He's trying to draw our gaze up to say, have hope. What is coming is going to be amazing. And it's contrary to the atheistic worldview that says suffering in our life is inherently meaningless. It's not in God's economy. He says our lights and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Your suffering right now is achieving something. It's doing something. It's not meaningless. And so we wait in hope that someday that this cancer, these broken bones, this fatigue, this mental illness, this thing that I can't shake is going to be used to make my resurrected body even more glorious and God even more worthy of praise. I think it gives us hope in the face of suffering. And I think also the, doc the doctrine of glorification means that we should, have a, we should have a proper view of these bodies. We shouldn't worship our bodies and treat them like the ultimate thing, investing incredible amounts of money and time into making them slightly better than what they already are. But nor does it mean that we should despise our bodies and just treat it however we want, put any kind of rubbish into it, treat it poorly. These bodies are used for the Lord, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, for magnifying his glory, not to be worshipped, but not to be overly despaired of. 
No, someday both the Christian athlete and the Christian tetraplegic will have the same exalted, magnificent body in eternity. We're not overly enamored with our bodies. We don't overly despair them. God would have us have a right and proper view of these bodies. And so we wait in patient hope. And it also means we wait in full assurance of our salvation. I love this. This is what Paul writes. He said, those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. He uses glorified in the past tense. He doesn't say, and those he will glorify. He says, those he glorified. He sees it as already done. The moment God chose you, the moment he set his love on you, he saw your glorification as full and final and complete. It's an unbroken chain all the way through. Those who, are, those who are chosen are called, invited. Those who are invited are justified. Those who are justified are glorified. It is an unbroken chain. It's like when you check in at the airport for a long haul, you know you're taking four flights and they give you four boarding passes at once. They're saying you're going to make it the whole way. You're not just going to get halfway and then fall off. You are going to make it the whole way. He sees it as already done. This is what Jesus says in John 6. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. If you have given your life to Jesus, he is your Lord, your Savior, your King. He wants you to have a deep sense of security that nothing is going to snatch you out of his hands. He chose you. He will glorify you. It is seen as done in eternity. That should give us immense security in our salvation. And so we wait in patient hope. We wait in full assurance of our salvation. And finally, I think the doctrine of glorification gives us strong compulsion for evangelism. Jesus says in John 5, a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. Those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. At the end of all things, we will all live forever. Everyone will be raised from the dead. Some, those who follow Jesus, those who acknowledge God as their king, will be glorified. Scripture says eternal joy at his right hand. But those who didn't will also rise, but they won't be glorified. They will live forever separate from God in hell. We all live forever. Not everyone is glorified. And I think the truth of that, the fact that we are all eternal beings, gives us a massive encouragement for evangelism, a massive encouragement. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis in, in his book, The Weight of Glory. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. We will all live forever. And so that makes me think about the people that I love who don't know Jesus. I look at them and think, man, you're going to live forever. You're not just going to cease to exist, but you're going to live forever. And I would love to see you in your glorified state. I'm thinking about friends. I'm thinking about family who I would love to see in their glorious, made new, imperishable, strong bodies. I want to be with them in that new heaven, on that new earth someday. I think the doctrine of glorification must compel us to evangelism.
you know, as I come into close, you know, I think about how I imagined heaven as a child. You know, I, I thought about streets of gold and just kind of brilliant light everywhere. But if I'm honest, I, you know, I, I did think it would be amazing. You know, no more pain, no more tears. That sounds awesome. But I thought, yeah, this kind of sounds a bit boring. Like, what am I going to do? And this goes on forever and ever and ever. I just couldn't imagine it actually being the best place. I knew it would be better than the other place, but it kind of sounded boring. You know, I hope the doctrine of glorification of what's going to happen to your body and what's going to happen to creation can put any notions of, of sort of imaginative fantasy of, of walking on the clouds to rest. Because you feel that ground under your feet now. You're going to feel that when you're renewed, when creation is made new. You're going to have oceans to swim in. And you're not going to be able to drown or, or run out of breath while you're swimming. You're going to have trees to climb. You're not going to fall and break your arm. You're going to have mountains to trek and you won't get tired. You're going to be able to, to wrestle a grizzly bear and not get mauled to death. You're going to be able to, to hug a lion and bury your face in its mane. You're going to be able to run like the wind and not grow tired and, and out of breath after 10 steps or pull a hammy. It's going to be amazing. It is going to be amazing. Every single one of us is going to experience the fullness of joy in perfect bodies. We're going to see perfectly. I won't need these. You're not going to need your hearing aids. You're going to be able to feel perfectly. And if that sounds good, you're going to be in the presence of God. You're going to be able to, with your body, hug Jesus' body. You're going to be able to look at, you're going to be able to look at the face of God forever. And your enjoyment of Him, your wonder of Him, your worship of Him will just increase. You will never reach the end of it. It is just going to go on and on and on. It is going to be the most glorious, most exalted state, and you will never get to the end of it. Salvation started with God when he chose you, when he chose to set his love on you, when he justified you, he declared you not guilty. It continued when he it continues to sanctify you, to make you more and more like Jesus as we co-labor with him. And salvation finishes with God when someday he will glorify you when he will renew your body and he will renew the whole of creation. How amazing is his love? How amazing is his grace that he would do that out of his love? We must worship him. He is so worthy. Let me pray. God, you are incredible. You are incredible that you came up with the idea of salvation. You set your love on us, not because of anything we did, but because of who you are. You sanctify us, Lord. You continue to work with us through this life to make us more and more like you. And you promise that we will be glorified, that death isn't the end, that you will reign forever, that sin and Satan and death will be defeated. And one day we will be with you. Eternal pleasures at your right hand. God, I am so thankful. I pray, Lord, that you would sink this deep into the hearts and minds of everyone listening, that we would be caught up to worship you for who you are, and what we've done. God, we look forward to that day. Give us hope. Give us assurance and compel us to reach out with the good news. In Jesus' name, amen.